you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks very much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the huge week for your money with critical inflation data. The Fed decision, of course, the news conference to follow and fresh reports on the consumer. Our investment committee debating all of it. Joining me for the hour today, right here at Post 9, Joe Terranova, Jason Snipe, Jim Labenthal. Dow's in the green. We'll show you the major averages. And by the way, as we do show you the market, you're going to notice our screen looks a little bit different today. It's all part of a new look for CNBC. We're excited about that. Over time, we hope it will make it easier for you to understand the market and the stories we are bringing you. But there's your check. Dow and the S&P are in the green. The Nasdaq is a marginal loser today. Take a look at the 10-year. You did have short-term inflation expectations from the New York Fed falling in November. So the 10-year is at 426. So, Joe, we, we, um, we begin with what lies ahead. And it's a big week. And maybe the biggest risk that we have to think about is that the chair, you know, Powell, is more hawkish than the market thinks he's going to be because the, the, the market thinking that the Fed is now its friend is the whole reason we're even here in the yeah. first place. Yeah, whatever, his intention is going to be very clear to us because he's going to be able to be so impactful on the market. He could literally uh, take the rally that we've had since early November and arrest it with his words. So I think however Chairman Powell wants markets to move from here, I think you'll hear that embedded within the language that he's going to speak about. This is without question a very huge week. Scott, it sets the table for next week and beyond. And let's remember something. I thought back to 2021. 2021 from December 20th, I think we have a chart to show this, from December 20th until December 31st, the S&P 500 rallied 5%. So there is precedent for that to happen. And I've heard many on the network suggest that possibility exists through the remainder of the month. Jason, I guess the, the big question is, does the Fed embrace the market's view that they're done hiking while still pushing back on the idea that cuts are coming as soon as the market was thinking they would? Now, they could do that through the outlook. They could do it through the press conference. I'm curious as to how the market would take that. Yes, I mean, they're not going to tell you explicitly that they're done hiking, but if they lead you to believe they're done hiking, but also say, you know what, this idea that you all think March is when cuts are coming, kind of ridiculous. Yeah, those yeah. are my words. They're not going to use those words. Right. Um, what does the market do? Yeah, so I, th I think there's a couple of things. I think, one, uh, the likelihood that there's a cut in the first quarter of next year, I think, is obviously diminished, you know, via the price action that we've seen uh, since October 27th. Uh, the market is up 11 percent, right? So we, we've all we've all seen that run. I think to Joe's point, in the second half of December, I think there's there's some there's some opportunity here. Clearly, this is a huge week. You know, we had retail sales later this week. We have CPI and PPI, and then we have the uh, the Fed meeting well, CPI on Wednesday. tomorrow, right? So we're gonna right. get the we'll get CPI just as you know, Chair Powell is walking into the uh, into the meeting, right? Right. 
So, I th and, and I think it will be somewhat benign. I think there's expectation of core to be a little bit higher uh, than, it, than anticipated and, and, and PPI continued deflation there. Um, but I think this is an important, important Fed meeting from the sense that he needs to thread the needle. He needs to keep the markets calm. And I think he'll, there'll be a lot of the same rhetoric that we've seen over the past couple of meetings. But I, but I think, um, you know, it, it'll be even cooler. So, Jimmy, optimism over the Fed is obviously one reason that we've rallied, right? I mean, that, that's been the game. Inflation started to come down, yields plunged, market embraced the idea, Fed's done, and they're probably going to hike as their next move. Um, the broadening rally is another reason why we are where we are, thinking that we could have another little run. S&P, you know, 52-week high, it's above 4,600. The rally's gotten more broad. Equal weights outperforming the S&P 500 over a month. Equal weights up 7.5%. The S&P's up 4.5%. I can go through the other sectors. These lagging sectors like real estate, discretionary, financials, industrials have all done well over a one-month period of time. Yeah, and you know, if you look at some of these lagging sectors year to date, they're now actually having good years, Scott. So if you look at the Dow Jones Industrials, year to date, it's up about 9%. Small caps, about 6 7%. And a lot of that's in the last month or two, we know that. But the point being is that what was a very narrow market is now being enjoyed by many uh, participants in the market. For that to continue, everything that we were talking about just here has to come through with regards to inflation, continuing to ameliorate, and Chair Powell, he he certainly is going to say something marginally hawkish because he can get away with it, right? I mean, the markets, the economy, everything's hanging in there. So why not continue to be hawkish? There's no downside to it. The thing that would worry me is if the CPI comes in hot tomorrow. I actually don't expect that, all right? I think that the lagged effects of shelter, the clear decline in energy prices should put a nice downward trend on headline. Now, Scott, I know we're all focused and we should be on core and super core and that sort of things. But if I'm looking at the Cleveland Fed right now, which has head line CPI year over year at 3.04% coming in tomorrow. Imagine if it's slightly below that. Imagine if it has a two handle. I just don't see the Fed continuing. Let me rephrase this. I see Chairman Powell continuing to talk hawkish, but if you get a benign CPI report, I don't think the market will believe it. Don't forget, we, we get an outlook too, so it's going to be interesting to see that. Uh, the real question, Joe, is whether this broadening can continue. If it was a moment in time, you know, we those who wanted to be in mega caps were in. Uh, rates had come down enough and there seems to be growing optimism about a soft landing that it's like, OK, let's let's pick off these other low hanging fruit areas of the market that I mentioned, you know, real estate, discretionary financials, industrials. Can it continue? And if so, how? I, I think it can. And I think it absolutely will intensify in the beginning of 2024 in January and February. That is, if, if you study history, that is the seasonally strongest period for small caps. We're clearly seeing, in addition to small caps beginning to outperform recently, that it's the equal weighted strategy of which, obviously, I am implementing one in the market. So I could tell you that it's working currently. Uh, equal weighted strategies are working as well. So well, you're buying what, more of your own ETF absolutely. because you want more equal weight exposure. Uh, absolutely. I want the equal weighted exposure. Last week, talk about eating your own cookies. I sold out a little bit of, of some strong gains. Uh, that I've had year to date in three equity names. We talked about it on Friday. Take the capital, deploy it in the equal aid strategy. But you asked, how does it continue? And I really think it's just all about studying where are yields, 
yields is so critical in this conversation right now. Um, as long as yields are, yields rather are going to stay anchored below four and a half percent and can position themselves to ultimately make that move below four percent, and that trigger below four percent to me is so incredibly critical. I'm a little suspicious in the near term that we're able to break below 4%. We discussed that on Friday. I think maybe 4.10 might be an area of support. But if you get this market below 4%, I think you're going to see a lot of capital coming out of cash into risk assets, both for uh, taxable fixed income and for pure equities themselves. And in pure equities, they're going to go to the underperforming areas of the market. Joe, I'm not sure I want to see that 10-year below 4%. That kind of worries me. That's part of this whole four cuts thesis. I'm not saying you're saying four cuts, but these these are things that if they happen, it's likely because my thesis that the economy is just doing fine and we should all be bullish is wrong, right? I mean, below 4% is implying four cuts. The Fed's only going to do that if there is severe cracks in the labor market and we're teetering on the, on the edge of on recession. Better, can it be on better inflation? I, I, don't, I think that's where you get the two cuts, and I think that's where the 10-year is right now. Obviously, this is not written on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. This is opinion. My mm-hmm. opinion is, is that if you go below 4% on the 10-year and you're really looking at four cuts, it's because it's a bad situation that we don't want. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you're at, you're at 427. Remember, uh, what was there, a point last week where it was like, wow, are, are we going to go under four by Thursday by the end of the week? Th- Thursday, okay. Thursday afternoon. If you had conversations with you know fellow speculators in the financial services industry, everyone was saying to me, we think we're going to go below 4% tomorrow on the jobs yeah, report. Until the jobs report came right. out, though, unemployment rate actually went down. So the jobs number was somewhat benign. I mean, it was a tiny bit hotter than, than anticipated. But, but it correct. was the unemployment number because the, the wage number was, was pretty good, too, yeah. um, in a positive way, you know. Um, and then we had a little bit of a pop in yield. So now that just raises the ante even more on CPI, PPI, and then, yep. and then Powell himself. I do have Piper, Jason, suggesting you got, you know, you get another big burst here between now and, and the end of the year, yep. 48.25. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, as it, as it relates to a lot of the conversation we've already had, I think it it boils down to positioning. Yields absolutely are part of the story, but obviously with inflation, we get the big inflation numbers this week, and and if those continue to decelerate, again, we talked about core, core popping up a little bit, but the headline number is what we really do pay attention to. I think that is what's going to be the catalyst going forward as we look as we look to the beginning of the year, reposition, look at the laggers that we've that we were in. That we're in, that have obviously underperformed this past year, and, and looking to get some exposure. There. I don't see you guys. You know, Joe's been making a bunch of moves, but I don't see you, you guys, Jason, you especially making a bunch of moves uh, in your own sort of personal chase for what you think lies ahead. Even as you talk, like you think there is room to the upside. I got no yeah. moves from you today, Jimmy. <clears throat> I've got no moves. Maybe it's yeah. just being content. Where you are, I don't know. You tell yeah, me. Yeah, so I mean, for us, I mean, luckily, we we have had a lot of exposure to to tech throughout the year, and we've been trimming throughout the year. But as we get towards the end of the year, it is going to be about reallocating. That's why I mentioned positioning and looking to other areas of the market. You know, we we're talking about the RSP numbers, uh, which is the equal weight index, uh, up almost eight percent in the last month. I mean, there's clearly some movement there, and I think you're going to have to expand and broaden your horizon. Look to industrials, financial other parts of the market, and that's what we plan to do heading into New Year. Do we think that some of these targets, like you get a flood of targets now coming in for 2024, too, with, you know, Stoltzfus, he's been, you know, typically pretty bullish. He's at 5,200. 
Tom Lee's been typically pretty bullish. He's at 5,200. You got a lot of these targets now uh, at 5,000 and above. You know, Dubrovko Lakos, who came on our show, and he was negative. He's got 4,200 for next year, 4,500, another you know, uh, consistently negative person on the market throughout this year. Mike Wilson, 4,500. What seems realistic to you? For, uh, here's for, what for seems realistic. Year? Because I'm, I remember this Kate Rooney did a report for us last week on how, you know, retail investors are now flooding into the market. Always happens. So we always have these conversations. What sign, if any, does that signal? Um, th- that's not always not always a contraindicator. Often it is, but not always. I think the, um, the the benefit of the doubt has to go to the bulls here. Unless an exogenous event happens, something that nobody sees to really knock the global economy down, then you should expect profits to continue to grow next year. And most people, including me, are going to value next year's year-end target on 2025 earnings estimates, which right now are 275. If you put an 18 times multiple on that, which seems perfectly reasonable, you get to 49.50 at year-end. Now, we haven't put out our official year-end target, but I'm kind of hinting. For next year? For next year. When are you going to do that? Uh, you'll see it next Monday. We're working on it right now. Okay. So I'll, I'll, believe me, I'll let you know. You know I'll let you know. But here's the point yes, I'm trying will. to make on that. That's roughly a 7% return from here. Is that, that's fine. That's good. But it's not, it's not going to really light people's eyes up. I think where you're going to see bigger, better returns are the things that we're hinting at here. Small caps, the industrials, the cyclicals, the value sectors. Because if this economy continues to skirt a recession and you get continued strong employment, you get all that supply chain onshoring and capex spending continuing on then these undervalued sectors of the market are going to see better earnings growth than expected and this? better returns how about this joe ari waldover at oppenheimer says it's the it's banks it's regional banks to jim's point regional banks are the thing that's going to take you to new highs uh, a new cycle high in the coming months. Regional banks. I'm not necessarily sure that regional banks are going to take you to a new cycle high, but I'll tell you, if I'm looking at financials, I actually want to own regional banks over money center banks. I see money center banks. I think about the earnings potential in 2024, and I see deceleration from where they were in 2023. Interest income declines. We've already heard that trading revenue is going to decline. So really, it's about M&A. I think the growth in an environment where the soft landing narrative has the potential, the growth in loans comes from regional banking itself. So I I like regional banks. And I think with all these price targets, what's most interesting is not the destination, but the journey. Tell me what the journey is going to look like, because, Scott, I don't know that you're going to get 15 to 20 percent higher for the equity market in the first half of the year. I think that's really going to be a second half of the year story. And I think that's important for the viewers to understand that the journey might come with a little rough terrain in the first half. This of the year. is a great point, because it's not just the rough terrain, but it's the duration of the journey. We're talking about regional banks. I mean, let's not forget it was nine months ago we had Silicon Valley Bank go under. Yep. Why did it go under, folks? Because the 10 year. 10 years down from there, okay? The pressure is off, and it's not just that the 10 years down. It's the time that elapses for all of these bank balance sheets to repair, for those those treasuries that they bought to eventually roll off and be replaced with higher-yielding loans. This isn't even necessarily a bet on the regional banks specifically. 
It's a bet on the environment being better That's exactly than it right. takes the pressure off of regional That's banks. That's exactly 100%. right. That's exactly. And by the way, I just want to make this clear. I'm not that enthusiastic about regional banks, but I'm very enthusiastic about the big money center banks, mm. where in addition to anything going on with interest rates, you should see a pickup in M&A activity. Again, barring an exogenous shock, there is a pipeline building up of M&A, of IPOs, of all sorts of things that should start the, to come through. The other thing, Jason, that you know is being talked about, David Costin over Goldman Sachs, with all the conversation about catch-up trades, broadening market, what's going to lead, what isn't, is tech going to see this leadership role to other areas? Costin likes growth over value yeah. in 2024. Modest growth and peak rates will support outperformance of growth over value. Yeah. That's interesting because some would make that case, okay, rates have peaked, so they're going to come down, they're going to take pressure off. You're still going to have modest growth, but decent enough that these other areas of the market are going to be able to play catch up. Yeah. Is it still going to be growth game to, to lead? So, you know, I, I think absolutely. I, I, I agree with that call 100 percent. And I'll tell you why. I mean, one, if yields continue to flow down, I mean, you see you see what's going on with the ARK Innovation names and Twilio. I know, Joe, you like and, and some of those other names. Um, and, and that's that's a different part of growth. Well, that's clearly. a rate. Re- that's a rate relief bounce. 100 percent. 100 percent. But. When, if I'm thinking about the AI theme and the integration of artificial intelligence now, because we bought the theme early part of this year, I think now it's about what is the productivity and, and how does that theme play out into the stocks and some of the software and applications. So I think that is what we'll see as a, as a part of the growth continuum, and I think that's why you can't abandon it. Joe, Apple above $3 trillion, uh, in the last week or so. It's been a considerable story. Dan Ives raises his price target today to two fifty. Uh, that's the top pick, top tech pick for 2024. Longtime obvious bull, but also Evercore ISI named the top pick, 220. Eric Woodring was on with me on uh, Friday on Closing Bell from Morgan Stanley. Somebody who was a little more even, you know, they were bullish on the long-term story for, Outlook, uh, for Apple, but even in the near term was a little more cautious in the last month or so. He's gotten more bullish too. So it feels like that the... Uh, this stock is such such a beast. Well, I think when I think when you're that stuck, it's turned even people who are marginally cautious back into pretty big bulls. I think when you when you're trying to invest or trade around the magnificent seven, I think the question now you have to ask yourself is where do you get the outperformance? And when I study the magnificent seven, to me, it is about the opportunity that continues to exist from generative AI. So obviously that takes you to the two names we all know very well, NVIDIA and Microsoft. I think the two sleepers for 2024 that actually can outperform Apple would be Amazon and Alphabet. I think you watch those two names in 24 on the back of generative AI. Not particularly excited. Listen, Apple's quality growth. I like quality growth above hyper growth, so I agree with David Costin. But I think in 24, Apple might take a little bit of a backseat in the Mag 7 to some of the other names like Amazon and Alphabet. Agree with that? I totally agree with it. Uh, I mean, on all parts of it. So first off, I mean, you look at Alphabet, and obviously, you know, good news last week on on the the, Large language Gemini. model, uh, Gemini. Demo, Gemini. You know, Gemini. Sorry, I was going to say Bart, but Gemini. Well, you say, the, I mean, but you you say good news. There was a lot of shade the, thrown in the, in the aftermath of that, mm-hmm. wondering if it was as good as it was all cracked up to be. Yeah, and I was on with you, and you know, the, a lot of hot, uh, heated criticism came out uh, when that news came out. 
I listened to what the you know what the explanation was. It seemed fairly benign. I don't think that they're doing something dishonest. I think they marketed. They they kind of edited this uh, this video to make it look a little bit better, but it made it look a little bit better in terms of not having long pauses. I don't think that really changes the actual output of, of what the model does. Um, by the way, this is a very cheap stock. So when we're talking about growth stocks, and I, that's how we got on this, and you started to bring up Alphabet, I think to myself at 20 times forward multiple, maybe that actually is a value stock. I mean, it's still up 50%. That's, that's what the market's going to wrestle with next year is, okay, you know, the valuations are what they are, and then you look at the performance, is a lot of the good story already in these names, or are we just getting started because of, because of AI? Yeah, I think that's, that's not an easy question matters. to answer. It's not an easy question to answer, but that's where the valuation matters. I think that you have a certain amount of cushion, not just with Alphabet at 20 times, but even if with NVIDIA at about 24 times forward earnings. I know there's a lot of discussions about, hey, what's going on with China and is there double ordering and that stuff going on. At 24 times forward multiple for a company that's selling a product that everybody seems to want, I mean, that gives a lot of cushion on the downside there. Uh, maybe reverse engineer the thinking surrounding the environment of 2023 and why did we own names like Apple and Microsoft? We mm -hmm. owned them because there was a degree of uncertainty about what the cost of capital would be, right? There was that variability, where's the Federal Reserve going, Federal Reserve going higher for longer, that's what we heard just mm -hmm. 45 days ago. Right. So if in fact in 2024 you're taking that variable out of the market. It doesn't mean the story for the MAG-7 deteriorates. It means the MAG-7 story is good, but it just means that there now are other places that you can invest capital. I totally agree. And, and I think there's a, there's a finite pool of capital right now circulating in markets that are going to do nothing more than just rotate their positioning. It doesn't mean they're going to turn the light switch off on the MAG-7. That's well put. It just, say that, it just says they're going to rotate capital away. And this is where Jason and I have a number of stocks that we talk about all the time, and we've been sort of pulling our hair out most of the year, things like CVS, Qualcomm, where the results actually are pretty good and the share prices have languished until recently. And I think it's exactly the explanation that you're talking about. I don't know how you feel about it, Jason. Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, as it relates to just the greater complex and, and, and positioning, like you mentioned, um, you know, I, I think these names, like the Qualcomm, the CVS of the world, even some of the energy names, I think will get a bid in 2024. I think that, that it's not that the story is old on AI. It's, it's, it's not that, you know, we're moving another direction. That story is over. I just think it's about broadening out and looking at other opportunities elsewhere. Real quick, I just had a terrifying thought. Can you imagine we're sitting here one year from now and you get once again the concentrated outperformance from the Magnificent oh, Seven man. again in 24? That'd be two years in a row of significant underperformance yeah. for the overwhelming majority. Yeah. All right, up next, we're going to do our calls of the day. We have uh, a retail stock being called a top pick today. It's been a string of positive calls for this name. We're going to discuss it. There's your chart on our new graphics look. We'll take a break. We'll come back in later. Eddie George, the Heisman Trophy winner. Now he's the Tennessee State head coach and financial advisor. We're going to talk some football. We'll talk markets. A lot more with Eddie George. We'll do that in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises.
Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. All right, we're back. Uh, time for calls of the day. It's Nike. And I've got to tell you, Jimmy, the last two weeks, there's been a flood of positive news from the, from the analyst community around, around Nike. Now, this is the time, you know, put Nike up, drop Lulu off these best ideas list, not throwing shade at Lulu at all. It was just like, look, Nike is poised to have a better upside, at least in the near term. Best idea, Barclays today. Target 119, upgraded to buy over at City from hold. 135 is the price target there. You bought it, I don't know, what, six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, uh, something like that. It's fairly it. recent. Yeah, after the last earnings report at 94. And you'll remember, and everyone will remember, that this stock was in a major downtrend uh, when that happened. They had a good quarter. And that good quarter was what I was looking for to get in. Now, I've got to point out the stock's up 25% uh, in, in three months. And it's now trading at around 31 times this year's earnings. The year ends May 31st. That's that too expensive. Yeah, I do think it's. I'm, call, I'm, I'm walking up to the line of scrimmage, Coach, and I'm looking at, at the defense, and I'm calling an audible here. And I think it's getting a little expensive. Now, the momentum is there, right? And the sentiment, as you were just talking about, is tremendously positive. So I'm going to let this run. I'm not going to get in its way. But I'm going to tell you. It's looking a little like the air is thin up here. I don't know. I mean, Joe, Joe looks at quality and momentum all the time. Mm-hmm. And if there's a trend that looks like it's got some momentum behind, it's not necessarily ready to stop anytime soon. How do you how do you look at this? Because you don't have it, it in the Joe T anymore. So it, it's different. Look, first of all, this screams add me, add me, <laughs> Joe. Let, let, you know, let, let's be clear. Uh, Nike, without question, quality name scores highly on all the fundamental metrics. Um, the the type of momentum that you're speaking about needs to be sustained over a multi-month period, and that's in fact what Nike did at the beginning of 2023. Now, it was a false start. Multi-month. It's up 22.5% in three months. Hold on. It was a false start for us because we added it at the end of April and then quickly had to move to the sidelines to mitigate the loss in it because you saw the decline into the fall. You need a little bit of a longer period than the last seven weeks, which is really what Nike has been rallying off of. Um, oh, you got some time before the rebounds. You, you've got some time before the rebounds in January. Next week, guys. We'll, we'll, you've got earnings next week. But I think what's so critical in all these reports, and Stephen Weiss did a good job talking about this on Friday, is where are you on the China recovery? Because the China recovery is part of the equation that gets you to believe that Nike can finally stabilize and move higher from the 120 level. I don't think anybody in the stock right now is really counting on China to all of a sudden go gangbusters. I think you're seeing really, a lot of the notes. I, I know, but I, th- I think what people like me are really looking at is the strength in North America. Inventory is getting under control. Pricing getting under control. And, oh, by the way, you know, people like me are looking at this and saying, do you really want to take a gain this late in the year? Now, having said all that, I'm not sure judge that I want to walk in next week and see what the earnings report looks like. Why do I have to do that at 31 times earnings? Maybe I don't have to. Okay, so I'm walking up to the line of scrimmage. I'm calling an audible. The ball's going to be snapped in the next few days. We'll talk. Okay. Hopefully you don't get sacked. Uh, (laughs) Occidental, you want to comment? Joe, you want to comment on Oxy? Uh, Because it was upgraded today at Morgan Stanley, 68 bucks. 
is where the price target was. It's where it stays. Now they do a deal today for Crown Rock for $12 billion. It's the Permian Basin, and it's this continued effort on the part of energy companies who are utilizing the earnings growth over the last 24 months and the strength of their balance sheets to ensure that they acquire assets in the Permian because there's the scarcity surrounding supply. Um, this is obviously a deal that falls after Exxon with Pioneer and Chevron with Hess. Berkshire owning 25% of Occidental. Obviously, they were fully aware. There's reports of you know, planes going back and forth to Omaha at the end of November. This was somewhat anticipated. So this is what these companies should be doing. What does it mean in terms of the future direction of the stock price? I think it is, unfortunately, not going to be able to overcome the supply to demand imbalance right now, which has supply at a much more enriched level. Let me ask you this question. Supply is overwhelming demand right forget, now, and I think, sorry. Forget all of that. Forget all of that. Forget everything I just How said? How much, yeah, for a minute. Okay. How much of the stock price is simply anchored in the fact that Berkshire owns such a large piece of, of the, the stock? That's a great question. Um, I would say how much? No matter what you think of the fundamental story, yeah. the fact that Berkshire's been repeatedly Such buying shares. Such a good question. I, I think it's probably when you study energy companies and you look at Occidental, it's the number one reason why you own Occidental above everything else is the ownership. Because Berkshire's there? Yes. It's almost a stamp of approval. Yes. In other words, the fundamentals don't matter as much. Because I could find other companies where I might feel a little bit better than owning Occidental, but there's something about the fact that they are there in Occidental that makes it appealing. All right, let's get the headlines now with Kate Rooney. Hi, Kate. Hey there, Scott. The Air Force investigation into a classified documents leak this year found that the alleged suspect acted alone. The Massachusetts Air National Guardsman Jack Teixeira allegedly leaked classified Pentagon documents on the social media platform Discord. The Air Force also disciplined 15 personnel for dereliction of duty after finding that there were indirect factors that enabled that leak. Russian election authorities announced that the country will hold presidential balloting next year in occupied regions of Ukraine. The four regions were legally annexed in 2022 after Russia launched its invasion. Russian officials said balloting will also take place in the Crimean Peninsula, which Russia illegally annexed from Ukraine in 2014. And Prince Harry is losing another legal fight in his attempts to sue publishers over reports he tried to retain publicly funded police protection after he left his role in the royal family. The judge ordered Harry to pay the Daily Mail 50,000 pounds or about $60,000 in legal fees after that ruling. The article was misleading but not libelous. Scott, back over to you. All right, Kate, appreciate that. Thank you, Kate Rooney. Up next, your ETF edge, the key themes emerging in the ETF market as we make the turn into 2024. Halftime's back after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. 
Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back. Bob Pisani joins us now with today's ETF Edge. Hey, Bob. Hello there, Scotty. November saw a record number of new ETF product launches and a near record month for inflows. 2023 was the year for actively managed ETFs and for short-term bond ETFs. Billions flowing into those money market-like ETFs to get those 5% yields. Is that going to continue in 2024? Should investors start moving back into equities? Let's talk with Ben Slavin. He's the global head of ETFs at BNY Mellon. You know, you guys, you're the largest asset service provider in the ETF industry, you see all of the flows more than anybody. A trillion dollars in money market funds uh, in 2023 went in to capture those 5% yields. Are we going to get any money coming back into equity ETFs start of the year? Well, if you look at ETF flows, there was before November and after November, and that's exactly what we saw, that cash pileup of over a trillion going into money market funds has started to come back into the market, and ETF have been the beneficiary of that, and we saw a lot of that money go to equities, uh, specifically in November, trying to catch that market rally. Are the, the investors still piling into big cap tech funds or are they positioning themselves for a broader recovery? I was very heartened to see a lot of money flowing into the equal weight S&P 500. The RSP has been outperforming and money's been flowing into that. Well, look, large cap's always going to take a big piece of those flows. A lot of that is just driven by asset allocation and ETF models. But we've started to see a broad-based um, sort of uh, disposal of assets that are being spread across the big tech and also large cap equities as well. And RSP is exactly one of those uh, products where investors are looking for not just the Magnificent Seven, but those uh, stocks that may be um, a little bit lower on the valuation end of the spectrum. The ETF community is hopeful 2024 will be the year for the Bitcoin ETF. We've seen Bitcoin rally, what, 30 percent? on hopes for a Bitcoin ETF. Can you give us a sense of the timeline for a, a, a likely rollout? Uh, the question that everybody wants to know. Um, at this point, look, it's impossible to predict. Everyone's waiting for the SEC. We have more than 10 different issuers looking for approval for a Bitcoin ETF. And you know we're providing the infrastructure for those products, um, providing the asset servicing to many of them. But we don't have any direct insight on what the SEC may or may not do. But again, a lot of the signs seem to point to Q1, but we'll have to wait and see. That's going to be the big story going into next year for sure. Okay. Good talking to Ben. We'll be talking much more about where the money's going in 2024. That's coming up on ETF Edge at 1.10 p.m. Eastern Time. Ben will be joined by Andrew McCormick. He's the managing director at Wallach Beth Capital. We'll talk flows, the hot new products, and Bitcoin ETFs. That'll be there all coming up. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Scott, back to you. All right, Bob. Thanks very much. Bob Pisani up next. Mike Santoli, he joins us with his midday word. And coming up. NFL legend and money manager Eddie George joins us live at Post 9. His financial advice for the next generation of young athletes is coming up. With that, we're back in two minutes. Senior Markets commentator Mike Santoli here now with his 
midday word. Um, no big surprise. I mean, it's, you know, CPI tomorrow, then, then the Fed decision, and we're probably going to just be hanging around a little bit until that happens. Yeah, it makes sense. Although, you know, not handing back Friday's rally in any significant way, even though you had the very largest stocks that are weaker, in part for this mechanical reason, you know, the, the NASDAQ 100 rebalancing seemed to take some weight out of the largest stocks. So I think all that said, uh, it's probably not a bad thing that you're just sitting around watching where yields head to. We knew they were a little bit overstretched to the downside. They're migrating higher a little bit, four and a quarter. Seems like the market's okay with that. We'll see what the auction brings us uh, at 1 p.m. Um, but I think if you're short of 435, where they broke down from, maybe that's okay. And then, yeah, and then it's waiting for CPI to see if we're correct to be much more comfortable about the disinflationary trend, which has been, you know, lifting this for six weeks. Now. Yeah, I mean, look, the New York Fed uh, inflation yeah. expectations was going in the right direction today as well. I mean, so the story's been building, yeah. you know, one report after the next that seems to be going in the right direction. Nothing now, you know, has disturbed the, the, the premise uh, for the soft landing. Now, I, you know, I was sort of a denigrator of inflation expectations on the upside as some kind of major tell. I think it's mostly telling you about gasoline prices. Mm-hmm. So the numbers matter more than anything else. But everyone's really confident, I think, getting confident that the lagging effects of the disinflation in certain categories are going to give you a little bit of a cushion for a while. But, you know, Powell can characterize that however he wants. I was so going to say, we'll see if the elephant in the room wants to step on yeah. that uh, or not with all of the weight. Yeah, of the and say Fed. just, hey, keep an eye on the fact that we're not there yet, but yeah. we know that's coming. All right, so. good stuff. I'll see you in a little bit. Mike uh, Santoli joining us here. Up next, today's halftime headliner, a Heisman winner, college football coach, money manager, Eddie George, joins us live at Post 9 to discuss all of that. We're back in two minutes. All right, welcome back. Heisman winner, NFL All-Pro, accomplished actor, college football coach, Wealth Manager. That is Eddie George's impressive resume. As you see, he's our special guest today at Post 9. Welcome back. It's good to have you back. It's been a long time. Good to see you guys. Happy holidays. Yep, and you as well. I know you're in town for the Heisman uh, Trophy presentation as Uh as a past winner. Uh, which never gets tired, I'm, I'm sure. You know, it gets better in time. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I talked to the young man, Jaden Daniels, who uh, won it uh, this past weekend, and he's getting thrown all over the place. Like, they have him going to the, the, the stock exchange. They got him pulled here, doing interviews and signing autographs. you got to sign 300 balls as a Heisman winner. That's your reward. You get wow. the, the trophy, and then <laughs> it's off the press, and you have to sign all these autographs. And I said, trust me, it gets better after this. And then and, you get to hang out in the Heisman. Yeah, house with you house. so it's right, all, right it's all good look um so you've done so many incredible things as we as we said with with your your resume um let's talk wealth management first before yes. we pivot into some other areas one of the reasons you got into wealth management was because you wanted kids coming out of college like the young man who yeah. who just yeah. won the heisman to be more financially literate yeah. and you felt as though we weren't right and is, is this being set up for success That's right. you know coming out of um college coming going into the nfl you're going to come across so many different people different characters they all want something from you: your time your money your energy and i wanted to uh, get into the business to help guys just coach them through that um through that side that transition you know especially on the financial side um it's just about preserving your money you know we're not trying to, to make you money we don't want you to lose it we want you to to uh have income after you retire because once your playing days are done, you know, uh, it's tough to find that next thing, that transition, your purpose, your life purpose. And to be financially sound is a big part of that. And we want 
the guys that, that we're with to preserve their, their financials. And that's why I really got into the business and, and have been in for almost a, de a decade, if you can believe that now. Uh, and, and we're really thriving and doing well. Well, your, your partner, Greg Eastman, through Ameriprise, was your own financial advisor yes. for a long time, that's right? that's the key. It's the relationship. Uh, I've known Greg, gosh, since uh, 1996. My, the fir my first game against the Kansas City Chiefs, he was there on the sidelines, believe it or not. And um, he helped me get a pass from my friend to get on the field. I'm like asking this dude, like, well, can you give me a pass from my buddy on the sideline? Long story short, we became good friends. Uh, he's been my financial advisor, now my business partner for well over 30 years uh, in the business. We always talk strategy. We're always talking about the, the markets, uh, what we're doing, uh, doing really well together, and um, just really excited about it. Right how, now. how many clients are, are former athletes? I would say uh, right now about or current uh, for that current matter. we have current uh, about about six six to seven uh, current athletes um, a couple of them are retired um, and you know again we put them in in vehicles that are going to produce income after you retire um, like current, Apple like Apple and all these other names hey, what do yeah, you guys the magnificent like? seven baby <laughs> the magnificent seven that steady Eddie you know is working for you. you know you got your Apple Amazon you know your your energy sector and your tech sector so we, we just if it works it works and that's that's what's been really doing well I think I think one thing we've been able to do is take advantage of the market now where inflation is pretty high and we the municipal bond area um, we've gotten some good returns on that as well for our clients so we, that, that's our core. That is our identity, you know, is, is sticking with works. So now you are the head football coach at Tennessee State University. How's the transition been to actually being a, a coach of young men? And right. what are your greater aspirations there? You know what? It's I'm a leader who's coaching football. And the things I'm talking about um, in the financial world, I'm talking about, about life skills, preparing to uh, pre preparing them for life uh, through the prism of football. And that being financially literate, that's being uh, professional, being on time. Um, all the things that I thought was corny that my coaches used to talk about when I was growing up, I'm using now because it applies. You know, um, all the small details that don't require talent for you to be successful, for you to be great, that's what I'm preaching day in and day out. You know, are you an asset or are you a liability? You know, assets, they, they come, they, they produce, they, um, they encourage one another. It's, it's a positive uh, uh, atmosphere that they're creating and they're helping their teammates raise the, the standard or, or your liability, not showing up on time, bad attitude, bad energy. So that's what I'm doing in coaching. I'm trying to win a few ball games and championships in the process. How do you compete in what has been an unbelievably changed world oh, with NIL name yes. image likeness where kids are getting millions of dollars to play college football. How much time we got? Yeah. Am I on this for a couple seconds? Yeah. Because listen, that's the, that's the hot topic. And it, it, at our level, it, has, it, it, it does impact us. But again, are, you, are we setting up our kids for success? We're, we're talking about kids making almost $20, $20 million, $5 million. Kids are jumping in the portal to get a different bag every day. Mm -hmm. And if they get that bag, Uncle Sam's going to come knocking. So you've got to be set up for success. You've got to understand that that money, you know, half of that's going to go to Uncle Sam. And are you have, do you have the right advisors around you? Are you, um, do you have your LLC set up? 
I mean, so it's very important that, yeah, we're throwing money out there. They're saying um, kids can go and, and make it, get uh, uh, money off their name, image, and likeness, which is great, but there has to be guidelines and rail, rails around this thing because kids are going to get hurt because of this, financially speaking, once they get out of the game of football. Do you see yourself being a coach, whether it's at the current school or somewhere else, maybe even the pros down the road? Is that what you want to do? You know, uh, Scott, I've done so many things, man. <laughs> I've been on Broadway, Chicago a few years ago. Uh, you know, if, if that's in God's God's plan for me, I'm going to do just that. I'm, I'm right where my feet are planted. And right now, um, it, I'm coaching football. Um, I'm preserving the, the wealth of my clients. And if the um, NFL or another opportunity is in the works for that, it'll work itself out. I'm, I'm totally open for it. Yeah. Sure. Joe? It's awesome. <clears throat> let, let me ask you, if you think about the time management that mm -hmm. a lot of these kids have right now and you reflect on your time management when you were a player, how critical do you think that is? Because it seems to me that we fail in, in messaging to yeah. the youth of today how they manage that time and how do you get your players to understand that? You know, a time is so, such a value, it's a, such a commodity that you cannot buy. Um, unfortunately, um, hey, I'm segueing into this, but I lost a dear friend of mine um, just yesterday, uh, Frank Wycheck, the uh, former teammate with the Titans, uh, died at 52. And you don't know how much time that you do have on this earth. So I tell my kids, you know, set your priorities. Set your, what is your legacy vision for your life? Because I have them write, up, write this out in grave detail about where you see your life at going professionally, uh, family-wise, spiritually, everything. And then that is your compass. So everything, every decision that you make from this point on when you wake up in the morning is geared toward that vision and toward that purpose. And that's a relationship that you have to have with God. I mean, honestly, you have to have that, that higher calling to know what it is that you're, you're here to do and live to that on a daily basis. So. Um, I, I try to tell them, listen, you got time for partying, that's great. Yeah. You got time to um, go hang out in the quad or whatever with the kids, but when you wake up in the morning, if you want to be an all-American, that's all-American work that you got to put in right. mm -hmm. every single day in the classroom, the, in the weight room, and so forth. So that's, that's what I would say. All right, six and five record this year, so you have a winning record. Uh, uh, a shout out Less to your son. Less some meat on the bone. A, a shout Less out to your son. Should have been nine wins or ten <laughs> wins. But yeah. a, sh a shout out to your son as well who uh, yes. plays for you and yes. who was on the freshman All-America team. We wish you continued success. Thank you, guys. You, you, you guys too. Good stop by anytime you want. I think I'll, I'll come by next year. How about that? Okay. All right. God bless you, man. That Thank works. you. Yeah, Happy holidays. Well. It's Eddie George right, joining us here at Post 9. Final trades are next. Three o'clock closing bell. Hope you'll join me then. We got Greg Branch. He's been a he's been a bear for a long time on this market. We'll find out if uh, he's changed later today. Gabriela Santos, Ed Yardeni. He has a huge target for stocks in the next couple of years. We'll reveal that when I see you at three o'clock. Let's do final trades. Farmer Jim. Uh, Cisco Systems. You may remember when it reported earnings a few weeks ago, it gave disappointing guidance. The stock, the estimates all had to reset, and that's been done. Last few days, you've seen some nice momentum in it. Expect that to continue for this steady eddy uh, dividend payer. Okay, Jason Snipe. 
I like Goldman Sachs here. I think underwriting is clearly bottoming. I think you could position here in 2024. Okay, Joe T. Chip name we don't speak much about, KLA Corp, ticker symbol KLAC. Reasonable valuation, chips exploding higher today. I think the stock continues to go higher. Why is it up 5%? Chips as the uh, industry itself all higher. Broadcom up 8% today. Wow. All right. Thanks for noting that. Uh, I will see you at 3 o'clock. Dow's good for about 91. Of course, got CPI tomorrow. Got the Fed after that. Retail sales later in the week. We've got a lot to cover this week with you. I'll see you in a couple hours. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.